fellow kids, and welcome to a very special episode of Hello, Fellow Kids. I we teach you about the dangers of driving, drinking and driving. <laughs> I almost said driving. The dangers of driving! <laughs> Just, well, I mean, we don't, We so. don't. It would be dangerous if we drove. <laughs> what does R mean? Really fast! <laughs> <laughs> What's N stand for? No oh, brakes! <laughs> <laughs> As you might notice, this is not releasing on the first of the month because this is a super special episode of a book that is releasing the very day we're releasing this episode. It is a book called... Did you just point at the microphone? You... I gave it a thumbs up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> did you hear the thumbs up, guys? They did. Okay. This book is called Riverland by Fran Wilde. And uh, at the time of recording this, it's still not publicly out for a month. Yeah, we're sophisticated. We are. Uh, my girlfriend's sister got it for me at a, like, a librarian's convention or something. Where they all come to go, shh. <laughs> I know there's more to it than that. Please don't send me any emails. <laughs> but yeah, so you'll still be getting a regular episode on the first of the next month as well. So you just get this extra little bonus. Uh, we only had one copy, so we had to share it. So Mara read it, like, a week before I did. Should, should I read the back? Yeah, read the back. Okay. Sisters Eleanor and Mike whisper stories back and forth while hiding under Eleanor's bed and waiting for their parents' arguments to die down. They count on the house magic to protect them, but when their dad lashes out and breaks the witch ball that hangs in their hallway, the magic stops working. Suddenly, nothing feels safe anymore. The girls flee to Eleanor's room only to find that a river has flooded their hiding place, a river that leads them to another world where dreams are born and nightmares roam free. Now, to stop the river creatures from entering their world, Eleanor and Mike must confront the Riverland's dangerous secrets and ancient promises. But are they strong enough to fight this strange world's magic, or will they get swept away by its power? Marketing and publicity. Pre-publication ambulant galley crab meeting. (laughs) (laughs) Do we want to talk about first impressions first before we get into the... Yeah, without getting into any specifics of it. Eh? Yeah. Also, I grew up in a similar household, so I was. Just I was like, gonna say, I was like, these are pretty much. I'm, I'm gonna have bad to def- memories. I'm gonna have to defer to you for like the anecdotal portion of a lot of this because, like, like my parents argue and stuff, but they would never like not this level. Yeah, no, there's there's no like throwing or anything like that. Um, yeah, it's uh, so it deals a lot with domestic abuse. Yeah, a really difficult household, and um, and having yeah. to keep it secret. Yeah, and it's it's physical, emotional, it's all of that stuff. So you know, be warned going into this that some of that's going to be pretty yeah, uncomfortable. Yeah, so if that's, yeah, it was not quite triggering for me because I've, I've got enough, like, years right. between what happened. Right, but everyone has different levels, so. Exactly. So, um, you know, maybe don't come to Riverland with us, but join us at Fablehaven. Right. If you want to, yeah. Yeah. There were definitely aspects of it I liked. Um, Same. Definitely really strong elements and then a good bit of weaker ones, and I'm, I feel like that the whole wasn't really there for me. Maybe the discussion will sway things a bit, but right now I'm I'm hovering at that kind of like two, maybe a low three out I'm of five stars. Three. Okay. Do we want to do synopsis now? Or is that like our only? Yeah, I I I don't want to get into a lot of the specifics of it yet. Because so we we'll will just... once we get into the text. Oh yeah, you okay. you know how we do. <laughs> They're like, wait, this is my first episode. What's gonna happen? I guess the one thing that I'll preface with is. If I recall correctly, there's not a ton of levity in this. No. It's pretty it's pretty gray for pretty much the whole thing, so there's not gonna be I had low level tension stomach through most of this. Yeah. As I did through the bulk of my childhood. So I yeah. was just like, okay. 
All right. Okay. So here we go. Riverland. Uh, before the story starts, it's not really a prologue, but it's like a little pre-story bit where it's just dialogue between the two sisters. But anyway, the two sisters, Eleanor and Mike, and I always want to say Eleanor and Park. Um, <laughs> I actually, at one point, I was like, hey, remember Eleanor and Park? You should go read that again. Yeah. <laughs> it was a palate cleanser. Um, anyway, so the sisters, Eleanor and Mike, Mike are uh, they talk back and forth as their parents argue in another room. Mike keeps asking if Eleanor's head hurts while Eleanor tries to tell a story about two sisters who are separated, but it's too sad for Mike. So it's time for a better story. Someday their real parents will come for them. Yeah, this isn't going to be a happy book, is it? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, okay, chapter one. Uh, Eleanor and her uh, friend Pendra are coming home from school. Pendra is determined to go to Eleanor's house, and Eleanor is trying to dissuade her. Unfortunately, Eleanor lives in an abusive household full of rules, and one of those rules is no surprise guests. She's cagey and trying to distract Pendra, but Pendra, who's never had anything really bad ever happen to her, doesn't quite spot the red flag. Pendra's determined to get her copy of The Hobbit back that she'd loaned to her, and she wants to see the house magic that she heard Mike talk about on the bus. First rule of house magic. We don't talk about house magic. (laughs) Um, At the house, Eleanor insists on going in first, making sure her dad, a fun, chipper guy who's always stressed about his real estate developer job, isn't home. He's not, and evidence of some fit he'd pitched, breaking a mirror, vase, and video game console, have been magicked away. I remember thinking, like, is this really magic, or is the mom just cleaning up the mess and buying new stuff? Yeah. It is the latter. (laughs) Yeah, I had had totally forgotten any of the synopsis when I started getting into the book, so I was like, yeah, okay, it's something, and then, Yeah. yeah. I was like, magical realism? What's happening here? Um, anyway, Eleanor lets Pendra in and the girls go upstairs. In the hall, they admire the witch ball that's hanging there. It's a glass fishing float and it's, it was originally made to like keep nets in place or something. Uh, and they supposedly catch evil spirits. When they enter Eleanor's room, Eleanor's alarmed. House magic isn't supposed to touch bedrooms, yet here's her doll collection out of boxes and on display. She searches under her bed, the hideout she shares with Mike, but she can't find Pendra's book. On a hunch, Eleanor checks her pillowcase, and her hidden secret item of a paring knife is still there. Yes, that's alarming. Downstairs, they hear Eleanor's mother and Mike have come home from shopping. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, because she's there with a surprise guest. Yeah. I hate insistent friends like Pendra. I really hate them. I had them. They ended up getting me beaten by my dad because of the fucking intensity of like the friendling like no we need to do this we need to do this and i'm like please can we not play in my parents room and right. then it didn't go well for me right so i'm just, i was like it was bringing back all these horrible memories of that and just being like oh my god can you teach your kid to not be so insistent about stuff like if the other kid's just like no we can't no we really can't then be like okay there's like a level here that's weird considering i'm just asking to play at your house this shouldn't be a big deal Right. Especially since this girl's mother is a guidance counselor. Yeah. Not that you should have the work skills that your parent has. Right. (laughs) I don't expect, like, the child of, like, an architect to be able to design a house, but (laughs) I don't know, maybe some, maybe you should listen to what the other person says, kind of. Yeah. Social behavior. Yeah. It's definitely stressful. I don't know. Yeah, like, on the one hand, it's like, yeah, Pendra should pick up on some stuff, but on the other hand, I guess I can kind of understand if you don't really, if, for whatever reason, her mom hasn't really gone into that sort of thing, if you're just not aware that, like, a domestic life could even be like that, yeah. like, you, you could totally 
just let those signs fall by the wayside if you just don't know to look for them. Yeah, my, my friends had to learn and they'd get this like, oh no, look on their face because they'd see like my father's rage like barely like held in. Yeah. And then they'd be told they have to go home. Yeah. And then like, I usually wouldn't see them for a while. I remember at least with one friend, I wasn't, I was never so insistent on anything that I would, like I do the, come on, it's going to be fine maybe once or twice, but I like, I would let it go after a while because right. obviously if they're that upset about it, but I remember just being like, I don't understand how your parents could possibly be upset about that because my parents, they have very, very rarely gotten angry with me because just for them, it's like a lot of that stuff. It's like, ultimately it doesn't really matter that right. much. It's not worth getting upset about. Yeah. So I would definitely, not to the extreme of Pendra, like, overruling everything. Right. But I would definitely say that I would be the sort of person who at that age would not be aware of all of those signs. But still, don't talk over your friend. And if they look like they're on the verge of tears telling you, no, we can't do a thing, don't make them do the thing. Right. Don't make them do the thing. Right. Ugh. Even if it seems completely innocuous to you. Like, it shouldn't be a big deal. Like, yeah, let's go to your house and we'll get my book. And then we'll hang out on your dock. Which is what Pender want to do, which sounds like a fun, that sounds like a fun time. That mm-hmm. sounds great. But when you have someone in the household who kind of, it's up to them whether you're going to have a good day or not. You don't get a say in it. And just kind of holds everyone hostage with their, like, with their moods is what it, is what this guy does and what my dad did too. But my dad never hit my mom. It was, right. He only hit us. But so much only, better. I don't know. The only other really... Real note I have in here is just the fact that uh, she goes by Mike. I the book didn't really go anywhere Never with that, on, that in terms of like yeah in terms her, of explaining or in terms her real of name's like, Mary in terms of like by. gender or anything. And she just goes by Mike, and I'm yeah. like, all right, cool, whatever, Mike. Mike, all right, why not? <laughs> the dad still calls her Mary. Yeah. I didn't. I don't think I. Yeah, said but he's that. the only one that does. Mm-hmm. Everybody else calls her Mike. Yeah, they even call her Mike in front of him, so it's not even like a secret nickname, but right. like not okay to say. Yeah. So I'm almost like, okay, that's interesting. Because I had a friend, her parents weren't abusive, but I think they were kind of weird. But uh, her name was Jennifer, and we called her Jen. And her parents did not like that we called her Jen. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I Like, the friend that I was... You don't get to determine what your kid's friends call your kid. Unless it's something really insulting and terrible. But if it's like a friend nickname, you need to take a few steps back. Right. Because the child is their own person and they are not an extension of you. Yeah. You don't get to determine that. Yeah. But anyway, that's something I've been holding on, being irritated about since I was 14. <laughs> um, I'm trying to remember the friend that I was referring to. I, I do not, having known them and their family for close to 20 years at this point, I would not call it an abusive household, but I would definitely say that there was a, there was a level of of fear in regards to like kind of like the the wishy washy like you never know if a parent like if they're gonna be like extra upset about something or not or yeah and it's not gonna be like you know they're gonna beat the crap out of you but like you don't know if this is just gonna yes. be something where they're just like oh whatever or if they're gonna just be really yeah. frustrated about it and like my dad was like that too yeah like it was just a constant walk on eggshells yeah it's like what's gonna set this asshole off today 
Yeah. Like, cause then, then you're like tense that you did a thing, but he's like, oh, it's not a big deal. And cleans it up. And you're like, where's this guy been for the last? We were talking about this before recording. I try really hard to present myself to people in pretty much the same way because they don't know if I've had a good day or a bad day. So I don't want to put that burden on them. But I know some people who are not very good about that. And you never know what's going to set them off just because of whatever. And they don't really. I'm, I'm kind of like that myself, but I try, that's like an act of struggle not to be. Right. Like I do, like yes, yesterday at school I did get mad about something and was like a little bitch about it, but then I let it go. Right. And the person who set me off, I was able to talk with them just fine. Right. And, and especially that was it. you and I figuring out just how our dynamic works better right. has helped a ton with figuring yes. out like... Like, we understand the intentions behind each other's statements right. a lot better. Well, when you know someone better and not... Because when people joke with me, like, like personally or a tad bit inappropriately, I don't know them a whole lot yet, it feels like an attack and I don't like it. Right. You get... So when you get to know them better, just like, okay, I, I know more what what he's likely to say to me. That right. I don't need to read anything into it. It's like, well, what did that mean? That was right. weird. And then, like, meanwhile, you're just over here like, I have no idea anything's wrong. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that when we, like, first started talking was I'd be like, I did, I legitimately had no idea that I had upset her. Um, <laughs> but then we figured it out and it's yeah. fine. Yeah, it is fine. I think people who knew us when we first started school together would be surprised to listen to this podcast. It's like, wow, they really, like, agree on most things. And even if they don't agree, it's not anything, like, ugly. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, are we ready to move on to chapter two? If you are. All right, let's do this. Okay. So, the girl's mother makes grilled cheese sandwiches and behaves like nothing's wrong. Which I also hate. Okay, uh, Pendra texts her mother and everything appears to be fine. But Eleanor and Mike are tense. As they should be. Pendra's mother, Mrs. Sarti, comes to this house uh, since she knows the girl's mother's home. She's the school district's guidance counselor, and she's been trying to get a hold of the parents for some time. Uh, just then, Mr. Sunshine and Happiness comes home. He's not thrilled to see the Sartis in his kitchen, and even less happy when Mrs. S. starts talking about Mike's problems at school and suggests the girls take assertiveness classes and get mentors. The mom coldly shows Mrs. S. the door, and the dad demands to know what all of this has been about. The mom happily throws Eleanor under the bus by instructing Mike to narc and say that Eleanor invited trouble. To ensure that Eleanor and Mike remember the rules, the dad shatters the witch ball. The mom completely bans Pendra from the house because Pendra's the problem. Um, and the girls are expected to end their friendship. Later in the evening, the dad decides he hasn't been a big enough jerk and proceeds to smash plates and mugs in the kitchen. The girls huddle under Eleanor's bed as Eleanor starts a few stories one about a lighthouse and another about two sisters kidnapped by a troll. They notice water under the bed uh, that starts as a stream and then gets gradually bigger. As their parents yell downstairs and a door slams, the girls follow a lighthouse beam and dive into the water. I think the mom is the character that I least understand on a psychological level. I get it, but I hate her. Okay. Do you want, like, I feel, I feel like I'm getting some of it. She needs to be protecting her kids more. Yeah. It's one thing if you want to stay in this bullcrap, but you need to protect your kids. Yeah. Which is what my mom did. My yeah. mom was not like this. It's a slightly different dynamic in my house. Right, but it's like it's different from like not protecting. She's actively making it worse by like when she threw 
Is it Mike that she threw under the bus for she that? She threw both of them under the bus. Yeah, but I mean, like... But Eleanor gets it the worst. Right, but it's, like, it's it's one thing to stand mm. back and just let it happen, but it's another thing to, like, actively dig she, yeah, your she hole takes deeper. Part of and that's, that's the part that kind of throws me part off. Part of that, I feel like, is that she's kind of like, I had nothing to do with this, so don't take anything out on me. Like, she's protecting herself oh, okay. at the expense of these girls. Or making it seem like, hey, this was just a kid thing. This wasn't a conspiracy against you or anything. Gotcha. I didn't know what was going on. You know, I think she's trying to take some heat off of herself. Or just like, this is like, this was a kid thing. Don't read a whole lot more into it. And he does and has his tantrum where he breaks everything. Except I'm willing to bet it's the same thing like with my dad that his stuff never gets broken. It's other people's stuff. It's just like, oh, I just lost my temper. It's like, no, you lost your temper, and then very deliberately broke things that didn't belong to you. I had stuff get broken so much because of that asshole. I keep getting a message that my <laughs> uh, computer battery is low, even though it's plugged in and says it's at 90% charging. So, I okay. don't... I hope the episode makes I it. I mean, that's like the fourth time it's popped up, and it's fine, so <laughs> whatever. <laughs> You're like, this isn't the right time! <laughs> Mara's trying not to cry! And we didn't have any unders to our beds, so we couldn't hide under a bed. <laughs> I, okay, so I was kind of drowsy while reading about half of this book. That's only 30% the book's fault. The 70% of it is just that I haven't been sleeping well and I've had a lot of things to do. But when I was picturing, like, the the space under the bed, I was picturing that they had, like, this actual, like, like a weird, like, divot that they'd actually, like, I don't know why. I felt like they had, like, this little, like, undercubby, like, below the actual floor, and I was like, that's pretty cool. They have a little clubhouse, and I was like, no! No, they don't! I kept kept picturing, like, they had a lofted bed or something, so it'd be more space to be underneath, but, no, it's not that either. Um, It's literally just squeezing under a normal bed. I wrote a note about the scene where he, they overhear him so I guess the parents are in the kitchen and the mom breaks, like accidentally drops and breaks a mug, right? And then he's like, that costs money, you know, be more careful. And then he starts breaking mugs himself, I believe is how that scene goes. I don't know, um, you're holding the book in your hands. I know. <laughs> so I believe that's how it goes. And so I wrote, ah, the impossible logic of anger. This mug costs $3. Guess I'll break more and make it your fault. Yeah. You know, it's like, you're wasting money and then I'm going to throw more things. Look how much money you're wasting. Yeah. It's like. Yep. I don't miss that logic at all. For anyone listening, my dad left when I was 11. So I had a lot of years to not have to live under this. Yeah. Like, usually people, like, tell their stories just like, yeah, my dad left and it, like, really ruined the family. Right. It's like. And Mud's like, my my mean older brother, (laughs) my mean older brother went to college and now I've had a really fantastic life as a result. Right. And, like, we were actually able to save money for once and, like, go on really cool trips. Right. So, yeah, it, like, worked out for us. Yeah. And then the dad's freaking out about Pender's mom, the guidance counselor, coming over. And he's like, the guidance counselor, what's next, Moira? Blaming me for everything? And I'm like, well, well most yeah. of it, yeah. If the shoe fits. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean everything being sick and, like, the sick tension in the air is all my fault? I'm like, yeah, actually it is. And um, I liked, I don't remember, I don't think I wrote this down, but at some point... I think the older, I think Eleanor is kind of like making excuses to Mike, just like, well, Papa's just under a lot of stress right now. He's got, to, he's trying to make this deal, trying to make it work. And Mike points out he's always making deals. 
So she's like, it never ends. Right. There's never a right. break. It's like he's it, always gonna make a deal. Yeah. When you reach, when you realize that you're making the same excuse for them all the time, it's yeah. it's not an excuse. Like, it's not circumstantial. A, this is just no, it's what, what he is. is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So chapter three, Eleanor's caught in a river current, WTFing and wondering if she's dreaming. All the while looking for Mike, she finally spots her little sister and helps entangle untangle her from some river grass. Then they use a tree branch to help them swim to a sandbar. Once they're on land, they crawl along and Eleanor loses a sock. As they shiver and try to get their bearings, a snake-headed woman and a big smoky horse come along. The woman finds the sock and then tracks the terrified girls. Just as she finds them, the lighthouse beam sweeps over her, which drives her back. At the same time, a flock of birds swoop in on her, making the horse erupt into smoke. Uh, One of the birds, a glass heron, settles down to talk with the girls. The river in which they'd floated here was the result of a leak. Leaks in the river only happen when agreements are broken. Uh, The girls are befuddled. The heron explains more. See, the birds are dreams and the horses are mares, as in nightmares. Everything's supposed to be in balance, but the snake-headed woman, Anasa, is an outside influence trying to help the mares invade the real world. The girl's great-great-grandmother accidentally sailed here long ago, and she agreed to help keep the balance and be a river guardian. Her glass floats represent the agreement. Oh, and Anasa started out as a human, but she stayed in this wacky world past sunrise and was transformed like a fairy left indoors overnight. Anyway, now that you two girls are here, how are you going to fix all our problems? So, chapter four, the heron attends to the baby dreams and finds one that's all smoky and it's actually a nightmare. So he has to dispose of it at the falls. Before he leaves, he secures a promise from Eleanor that the girls will stay and help. Once he's gone, however, Eleanor has other ideas. Uh, She can actually touch the lighthouse beam, and she has Mike run across it to the lighthouse. Eleanor follows, but the beam keeps spinning since no one's holding it in place for her. It's a bumpy ride, and she's made a few small holes in the beam. Uh, Inside the lighthouse, the girls find the ladder, and they climb up it, emerging under Eleanor's bed. She wants to convince herself it was a dream, but she has a blue glass heron feather as a souvenir that doesn't disappear in the light of day. And now their space under the bed is no longer a safe space. So this dream world... It's just still stressful. Right. These kids don't get a break. They don't really. Like, there's no, there's hardly any levity. This ain't Narnia. I don't feel like I have a very strong handle on the dream world. Like, I'm I'm understanding portions of it, but I feel like it's not all there. Yep. I, I, I was also kind of like, it was a struggle to write this, um, synopsis. (laughs) So I was okay. like, is, is this my understanding of it? Am I understanding this correctly? And I was looking forward to you correcting me on stuff. Just like, well, I'm maybe so he got this better. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I don't know if some of this was, uh, this is an uncorrected proof that we have, right? Yes, before, it is. Before they like fix some but, stuff. But I feel like that's mostly typos. Oh, not like entire descriptions. Of well, stuff. I mean, she picked this up in February and it releases in April. Okay. You can only do so much. And still get them printed out. I feel like a sentence here or there would have helped a lot. Maybe, though. yeah. Okay, so I was confused by how time passes in this world, because sometimes they like leave and it's like just at sunrise or something. But then like the mom's calling them to get ready for school, and I was like, what time do they go to school? So I feel I feel like it's halfway between using just nonsense logic for like like Alice in Wonderland and trying to establish actual logic. But then, like, Eleanor never thinks, like, oh, it felt like we were just there an hour. Why is it morning already? Or right. anything. And I'm just... Right. It felt like later they weren't 
there for very long yeah. for stuff. And then it's like they leave and like, oh, yeah. all these hours have passed. And also, why aren't they like completely exhausted the next day? Yeah. Because they clearly didn't sleep all night. They were right. futzing about in this dream Right. Room. So it's like how much of like, did all this actually happen or did it? Oh, it, I, it, I think it did. Right. But I was kind of for a while like, how, how much of right. this magical realism and how much of it is? So the book is, it's about 340 pages. And I, about two thirds of the way through, I wrote a note saying that I feel like maybe this would have worked better if it had been done at more of like a Coraline length. Okay. And also done by Neil Gaiman because he <laughs> he's much stronger at doing that, like the, <laughs> the, the, the intertwining of the real and the fantasy yeah. and like how they relate to each other. But I, I feel f- like he already tackled a book that's kind of like this. That's right. the ocean at the end of the lane. Which I haven't read yet, but it is on my shelf. It's worth picking it up if you want to see something kind of similar to this executed well. Right. So. <laughs> right. And in a more, like, succinct way. Yeah. Instead of going through. Yeah, that's the thing is I felt like this story repeated itself a lot. Like, they go back to the dream area, like, like four yeah. times. Yeah, House of the Dream. Yeah. The the dream. And it yeah. didn't need to do that. Mm-mm. It could have... Three, maybe, because of the, like, you know, the dramatic tension of threes, but it's, right, it's more than three. I'm pretty sure it's four. I can't Whatever remember. the case, it's too much flippy floppy, mm-hmm. and it doesn't feel like it's adding enough each time for it to warrant the flippy floppy, <laughs> in my scientific opinion. <laughs> yeah, a wibbly wobbly timey wimey. Yeah. Have you ever read any of the Levin Thumps books? No. They're fun. They are also about... Uh, the world where dreams come from but i enjoy them a lot more what's interesting is that so it's about the land of foo which is where like dreams and stuff come from the entire first book is getting to it like the entire first book is like what would normally be the first like three chapters of oh, any okay. other fantasy yeah but it manages to work with it well enough and then by the time that it actually gets to foo i'm just like all right i'm on I wrote, I'm not really following this book, but it's not even that complicated. No. I just, like, I I felt tired and dumb. <laughs> Which is how I felt during, like, descriptions of stuff in tunnels. Where I was like, you're saying stuff, but it's not, <laughs> I'm not getting it. Right. <laughs> like, what am I picturing? Right. What is happening here? So, I mean, there's, like, really cool ideas. I, there's yeah. not Like, there's not a bad idea yeah, in so, this at all. One of my favorite things is, so they, they encounter this heron who is made of broken glass and has, uh, like, garden shears for a beak. And I'm like, that's pretty rad. Right. I'm down with that. Like, being made of all the debris. Like, I thought that was cool. And then, like, the individual imagery of, like, the lighthouse and the river and stuff. Like, that's all cool. But, like, for whatever reason, putting it all together just didn't do anything really for me. Like, I was about to say on paper it works, but, like, it is on paper. Right. just, like, if someone had pitched this idea to you, you'd be like... That sounds really cool. Right. I'm really intrigued by that. Right. Where are you going to go with that? And, and they I, hand you this and you go, oh. I kind of felt like I was dreaming for part of it, which like almost I could say is intentional, but more to the point is the fact that I felt like there wasn't any real reason for things to be happening. It was just happening. Like all of us, like I'm just reading. And I'm like, I think I feel like I know what's going on. And then they're climbing the light of the lighthouse and I'm like, I don't know what's going on, but I don't know how we got here or why it's happening. And I don't care. Enough. Well, it's happening. I was like, this sounds really destructive. And it turns out it was. And you're like, oh, well, 
don't do that. Don't do it again. And you're like, we'll do it again. Like, stop it. So at the end, <laughs> at the end of chapter four, yeah. they go back and she's like, at last we were home. And I'm like, why are you excited about going back home? I know. Why? That's, that's what kind of threw me off is why mm-hmm. they were so eager to get back home right away. Probably because if they notice they're, if, if they're noticed that they're missing, that's a whole other. Right. This guy barely needs anything to set him off. And kids disappearing in the night. Right. He's going to hit the roof. Yeah. Like, if, if just people, neighbors coming over and sitting in the kitchen and talking is enough to be like, what the heck? Yeah. Then, yeah, kids not being in their beds is going to set him off. It'd set off a normal parent. Right. But that's probably more of like a, oh my gosh, where's my kid? I care that they're missing. Well, this is, <laughs> you broke my rule, you're disrespectful. Right. There's no rule we're supposed to be right. in bed all and night. I, I feel like I feel like it's the sort of situation where there aren't explicit rules. They've just found out by doing things that got him upset that that is now a rule. Yeah. For their own safety. Yep. Which is also an awful way to live. Like everything yeah. about this is miserable. I know. Yeah. I I do know. Unfortunately, I didn't like going home. Uh, I remember getting upset with a. Uh, um, you remember highlights for children that magazine, uh-huh. and they had like Goofus and Gallant. That Goofus always did, like, the dumb crap that all kids do. Mm-hmm. But then they'd show Gallant, who, like, does the thing the correct way. And I remember getting really personally and offended and upset and, like, I don't know if I threw this one away. Sometimes I did throw away the magazine if it upset me over something. <laughs> it, which it happened more than once. But um, one of them was, like, Gallant politely drinks his water from a water glass. And then Goofus drinks directly from the faucet. And I was like, I hate you, magazine! Because... I didn't want to be home, but I'd get thirsty. So I'd run home quickly, but I'd be thirsty and like run in the door, turn on the faucet and like quickly drink from the faucet and then run back outside. So I wouldn't have to like get caught by my dad for whatever stuff I supposedly did this time. And I felt personally attacked by that, even though I just meant drink from a glass. Right. (laughs) It doesn't mean I'll like, hey, hey, abused child who's walking on eggshells every day. Right. I'm going to call you out on your coping mechanisms, which is not what they meant. But, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen highlights for children outside of a waiting room. I had a subscription. (laughs) I had a subscription to uh, Ranger Rick. A few of my friends did. Is that still a thing? I don't know. Do people still get zoo books? I don't know. I just realized it's been so long since I saw the commercial. Like, I just, um... I just know they kept adding more and more prizes. Do people still get Muzzy? Oh, I remember Muzzy. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, okay. (laughs) Uh, Do we want to move on? I'll tell you what people still get. The Magic Bullet. (laughs) I love the... Yeah, we talked about this. It's the best infomercial ever made. You will not find anything better. I wish they put it on like a DVD and you could just watch it. (laughs) All right. Back to this miserable world. Yeah, but now I want to do an episode where we uh, we do a video of us watching the magical commercial <laughs> and like do like commentary over it. <laughs> a magic bullet commentary track. <laughs> Maybe I could talk there, my brother into joining that because he I, liked that one. Yeah, too. I mean, people like it. There are dozens of us. <laughs> <laughs> Literally dozens. Okay, back to this. Um, so, chapter five. Uh, in the morning, Eleanor gets breakfast for her and Mike, and they see the extent of the damage from the night before. Their dad's broken damn near everything. Their mom appears with a big black eye and tells them to dress up nice and pack pajamas and toothbrushes. We're off to see Gran. The Gran who's been estranged from the family for years, who the girls don't really know. Um, on the drive, the girls agree to say nothing about their father or the broken witch ball. 
It's one of the rules to keep their rotten home life a secret. At their grandmother's apartment, the girls sit on the couch while Gran and their mother argue in the other room about this unexpected visit. Gran will keep them for the afternoon, but not overnight. And on that chipper note, their mother leaves. I'm just going to go on to the next chapter. Chapter 6, Gran feeds the girls and tries to get info out of them, but they don't say a word about what's going on with their parents. Ilmar says that there's some problem about money, and it's let go at that. Uh, after they eat, Gran talks about being an artist, and Eleanor tells her that she likes to draw, especially maps. Gran pulls out a box and shows them a map she's drawn based on a dream she had. It's the river. In the box is the top half of a broken witch ball. Mike eagerly asks Gran if she has more, but she doesn't. She also doesn't seem to like that question much. That evening, their mother takes them to a motel for the night and promises that the next day will be better. The beds have no space beneath to hide, but no place for a river either. They go home the next day and everything's fixed. Their dad's in a good mood. It all seems fine, but there's no witch ball. And there's a big water stain on the ceiling where Eleanor's room is. So, no witch ball. So no fixed agreement, and the girls are now committed to fixing the situation at the river. Shit. I like the Gran. I like the Gran as well. And she's, you know, since Gran has more life experience, rather than poor little Pendra, she can... She's picking up. She's picking up stuff, and goes, I'm not going to push too much, because... I bet she pushed too much with the mom, and that's why they're all in this situation now. What do you mean? Okay, I'm sure this guy didn't overnight decide to be a jerk. Right. And when someone is with someone who's like this, and you say, like, he's awful, why are you with him? It's like you're saying, you're stupid, why don't don't you see? And then they so double, double down, down on your decision, on your decision yeah. to stay with him. So she's probably trying to take more of a hands-off, but I'm here if you need me approach to mm-hmm. this. With the girls so that they're not trapped the way the mom is. The mom's pretty thoroughly trapped. To the point where she seems to be kind of in the same idea that she and the husband are on the same level. But they're not. He's clearly in charge of everything. But I love the grand. And I feel like their argument in the kitchen was a more healthy kind of argument than the arguments that the mom and dad have. It's more like the grand just being like, you don't get to just cut me out of your life and then suddenly you want a favor and right. this. Like, I'm going to agree to the afternoon because I want to get to know these girls. They're my grandchildren. Yeah. But I'm not super happy with you. I felt really bad when Eleanor, she gets the sofa wet. Oh my God. Yes. What was it? Did she spill something or was that the... No. um, Mike rubbed snot all over her sleeve because of course she did. She's like six. And Eleanor was like, oh God, I got to clean this up. And, you know, you're, people who grew up in, like, normal households are like, why is this a big a big deal? It's not. It's like, but she's in her nice dress, and she made a mess, and we're at a new place. So she got a washcloth from the bathroom and wipes off Mike's arm. And then the parents come back. They come in unexpectedly, and she hides the washcloth, and the washcloth soaks the okay. couch. Okay, yeah. So the couch gets wet, and Gran comes in, and Eleanor immediately goes, I got your sofa wet. I'll pay to fix it. And that is a heartbreaking sentence. Yeah. Like, it's hard for me to even, like, like, the fact that your first, your first instinct is whatever I did was so horrible, I need to atone for it. Like, that's really scary. I'd have just hidden it. Yeah, I was, I was hide or deny. <laughs> that was, that was my, my, uh, my coping. It's <laughs> The abused version of fight or flight. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I'm going to like own up and maybe like being honest straight out and like, like I will fix this. We'll, we'll fix the problem or hide it and deny it. 
And I always did hide and deny. It, it didn't ever work out. But yeah. funny story, nothing ever works out with these kinds of people. Every it, move is the wrong move. Yeah. They will twist everything in their head to make it seem worse, which Eleanor kind of says towards the end. Yeah, I was just getting so stressed out that nobody was talking. Like, because, yep. I, you know, the, the victims don't want to say something because they're afraid they'll get in trouble. The other people don't want to push too hard because they're afraid that it'll something you know or they just aren't aware of it i'm just like uh i just want somebody to acknowledge it just yeah i wish it happened a lot sooner in the story because when it when things do kind of like start unraveling you're like oh thank god it's like this such this release of tension i just yeah. wish it happened sooner just because I, I don't know it made for a really uncomfortable reading experience and i think if it had been taken care of sooner or some kind of or if like you said if there was some kind of levity at some point it would have eased the tension a lot better yeah. it would have been a way easier reading experience anyway chapter seven um the next morning the parents have a meeting at the bank so the girls get breakfast and they go off to school themselves pendra isn't at the bus stop God, i don't really like pendra i just want to okay pendra isn't at the bus stop so eleanor can't return the book right away oh wait did i say where they found the book the book was in Mike's backpack the whole time, and no parent took it to, as a punishment for... Yeah, there was no house magic. No, no, not, not at that point. Anyway, um, she can't, uh, at school, Pendra's left a mean note on Eleanor's locker about the book, and she's ignoring her and cozying up to other friends, leaving Eleanor alone. Yeah, can't say I missed that middle school shit. I had friends who do that all the time. It's, it's so stressful, I hate it. Okay, so when it's lunchtime... Elnor is briefly cornered by her science teacher who asks about her project. She was going to do one on a bird on bird watching and had even borrowed the teacher's binoculars, but her dad broke it during one of his wingdings. After making up something about glass for the project, um, Elnor's free to join Pendra, who she gives her book to, apologizing. Pendra seems happy, but gets a few passive-aggressive digs in to punish Eleanor a little more. I don't like this girl. On the bus home, Elnor thinks about the heron's words that untruths make the river leak. So uh, she says that Mike didn't break the missing binoculars like she'd earlier claimed and that she doesn't like how people push Mike around. Surprisingly, Pendra respects this. Um, when they get home, the meeting at the bank didn't go well with the parents might have to put the house up as collateral. They can't do that without Gran's agreement since it's her house, but she hates the dad. Gee, I wonder why. Meanwhile, the water stain on the ceiling is getting bigger and the girls plan to go back to the river that night. I'm not really going to defend Pendra, but I don't think I feel as strongly as you do, just because I feel like it's mostly coming from the, yes, the kind of middle school fickle attitude of a lot of things, but also just the fact that she isn't aware. So, like, all she sees is a friend that won't tell her anything and says she's going to do something and then doesn't, and so that's really all that she's seeing because she doesn't understand I just underlying. hate that love bombing of other people to punish you. Right. So I was just like, here I am, like, with these people in my arms, and I'm like, oh, yeah, mm, and, like, ignoring you, and right. it's like, that's particularly hateful. Yeah, that's... I mean, that's... I can see, like, getting mad, like, dude, I didn't see you all weekend, you said you'd get my book back to me, why are you being so flaky? That would be understandable. Yeah. But, I don't know, it's just particularly nasty, I don't yeah. like it, and I don't like Pendra. I just got so heartbroken every time I was reading how the girls would, like, like, their, their defense mechanisms for everything... Like, uh, so Pedra's mom, Mrs. Sardi, is a counselor for both the elementary and the middle school, and so she flip-flops between them. And so 
Uh, Eleanor says to Mike, if Miss Sardi's at the elementary school and she wants to talk to you, do you know what you do? Mike nodded. I'll say I need to go to the nurse first. Good. Stay there as long as you can, okay? Like that, we have to plan to hide. And we have to, yeah. like, that's probably the worst. Like, obviously the dad's abuse is, like, right there. And, like, but the fact, the the repercussions of that where the kids are taking it upon themselves to do all those things is, like, extra heartbreaking. And he doesn't, I, I don't think the dad needs to be this vigilant about it. Because you have to be particularly bad to get your kids taken away. Right. Like, this this level of where they're at, they're still getting fed. They're still, they're relatively safe. That's not enough to get removed from a home. So he's also instilling that fear in them. Like, they'll take you away and split you up. Which right. is what all their stories are when she says, you know, the sisters were separated. And Mike's like, I don't like the story. Right. I don't want to go too far into this, but I did have the thought of, like, usually when I imagine, like, abusive households and stories and stuff i think of like lower class and they're not he works in like real estate and stuff and so they're pretty well off like yeah. they're replacing flat screen tvs that he breaks like like it's you know nothing i mean he's freaking out about the cost of things but ultimately he has a good job and stuff like that and so i wonder if that helps him mask things more because they see they mm -hmm. see a more well-to-do family and so they're like oh you know whereas if you see like Poor people, like, they just do everything wrong. You yeah. Know, that kind of... Yeah. No, this behavior, this kind of... It, do, it doesn't matter what socioeconomic status you're at. Yeah. It could happen to anybody. Um, okay, the bus driver's stupid. I hate that bus so driver. So, the bus driver... Ugh. The bus driver is about to pull away, and Pendra is like, crap, I need to get my book uh, from my locker. Will you wait? And he nods. And then she goes and gets her book and comes back, and he's like... You kids think you're so special because he was about to drive away. And I'm like, you agreed to wait for her. That's on you. Yeah. <laughs> no, and he says, like, Pendra's always the loudest. And some little friend of um, Mike's is loud, too. And I was like, and Pendra, I think they're, are they Indian? Okay. Yeah. So the, and um, I don't know what race Calliope is, so I was assuming he was being racist. That's what I assumed as well, is that, oh, that, that brown kid keeps making yeah. all that noise. Mm-hmm. Um, and Eleanor's like, they don't make any more noise than anyone else does. So it just feels like there isn't like a reliable adult anywhere to turn to other than Gran. Right. And. Which is kind of, I don't know, same, same situation yeah. I had. And well, I mean like Miss Sardi isn't actively problematic. She's just not doing all she could. No. Which is kind of a bummer for having your job be a counselor. Well, that's another thing, Shai, because she has to split her time between two, like the school district. Right. So she so she's she's, she's worked overworked. For you. Yeah. <laughs> so she can't actually pick up on, Which especially I... really subtle stuff like this. Yeah. You're looking more for like the kid who shows up and bruises. Right. Or um, I took a class on uh, social work, and uh, they called CPS for one little girl because they noticed she had a new outfit every single day. She never had another outfit. And it's because the dad was not doing laundry and would just buy new clothes and she'd just have new clothes and they're just like, something weird's happening here and that's when they stepped in there. And you'd have to have money to do that. Yeah. So they're, just, they're like, I've never seen that kid in like the same kind of clothes. So like wearing the same clothes too often or a new outfit every single day for right. like half a school year. Right. Where you're like, wait, pump the brakes, what's going on here? Yeah. And she's not seeing these kids often enough to you know, established patterns. Right. And, and I think we talked about it way back when we did, uh, 
Sisters Grimm, how the social worker in there is painted as this like ch- oh. child hating, and yep. it's like it's like no, the real social workers are incredibly overworked, yes. and they're doing the best they can, but they have so much that they have to deal with, mm-hmm. which is an unfortunate reality. It is. Um, it's a job that not many people want to do. It has a high burnout rate. Think yeah. how exhausted we were just reading this book. Right, and like those are the kids that you're dealing with every single day. Right. That's how I knew, I like, I remember I originally did want to go into social work, but then yeah. I thought realistically, I'm not going to be able to do it. Right. I would, I would take that stuff home with me and just right. stew in it. Right, and that's hard because, like, they, they need people to help them. They need people who care and that are doing things, but at the same time, it's like, you, you can't provide that for them if you're not able to cope with it. And, like, it does take a very special sort of person to do it, and it's yeah. unfortunate that there aren't enough of those people for the kids that need it. Right. Do, what's up i uh, oh i have the the little in between chapter thing oh what's that one i don't think i wrote I don't that think, down I, they don't really matter they really don't i i, I actually reiterate the same stuff i actually over. wrote it the with the first one i was like if this ends up mattering we should read it out loud and then it didn't really so. yeah it doesn't okay yeah. chapter eight <clears throat> rather than jump into the river like last time the girls use a ladder of mismatched socks that's kind of cute mm-hmm. it's all the left ones <laughs> Anyway, um, the girls use a ladder of mismatched socks, and they end up at the river's shore. They find ravens attacking a moving pile of rags, and the girls chase the birds off. <clears throat> the rags turn out to be a pony named Dishrag. I liked Dishrag. <laughs> Dude. One character in the whole book that so I liked. <laughs> as soon as they name a character Dishrag, I'm like, I'm on board. Yes. I'll do I'll do Dishrag, that's More Dishrag. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, anyway, Dishrag is grateful for their assistance, and he starts to leave on his little boat. But he's stopped by the heron, who shows up to scold Dishrag for visiting the baby dreams unsupervised. Dishrag's apologetic and tells the heron the girls saved him. The heron couldn't care less and says the girls are useless liars and then pieces out. So, uh, no more help from the heron. The girls decide to ask the crabs in the tunnels. Uh, there, there's apparently, like, some tunnels that people, the, wait, do I explain it here? Ugh, I don't know. This was such a world, I'm like, wait, what? About everything? There are these tunnels and there's actually this hidden city underneath and then it turns out that they <laughs> Hey, careful, no spoilers. <laughs> Actually, I want. I do want to say that I just read a book called Beneath that is also about a secret underground. Executed better. Yes, still not great. Okay. Which was kind of. It felt like what happened was he wrote a skeleton rough draft, and uh-huh. then they're like, "Good, let's publish it." And then he's like, "Wait, wait, woo, woo, okay, it's out there." Because like oh. I've read a bunch of his other stuff. It's Roland Smith who does a lot of like, okay. like middle reader adventures, right? Yeah, and most of his stuff is really solid. I felt that one just needed another pass okay. through to really. I've heard of it. that author. Yeah. Um, anyway, so there's, like, these tunnels that help people, help people, like, get the creatures, help the creatures get around and stuff, and those spring leaks, and then the crabs, like, click, uh, keep track of the leaks, yeah. Ugh, whatever. Um, <laughs> right, it's just, uh... Um, so, anyway, the girls know about the crabs, and they decide to, uh, ask for have them for help, since they have experience with the leaks. Uh, they pay Dishrag and Cereal to get them across the river. Um, as, <laughs> as they go, Dishrag explains a bit about the tunnel. Okay, about the tunnels. Most creatures use them to get around in an effort to avoid deeper water, and old nightmares go through them to fade and die, becoming fertilizer for the river. They're generally sturdy, but they've been co- collapsing lately since the NASA has been trying to send big nightmares through these tunnels to the real world. Also, to get through the tunnels, you need permits! I found that really hilarious. <laughs> I liked that at least. <laughs> Uh, once they reach the other side, they're at a loss what to do now and how to find the crabs. They squabble until a voice tells them to shut up, 
turns out to be a crab, an old man welded with scrap metal, so he has one metal claw and a shell. They squabble with him a bit, too, and he tells them to clear off unless they have permits. He changes his tune when Eleanor tells him that they're taking responsibility for the leaks and want to fix them. Then he leads them to where the tunnels are hidden. I drew <laughs> a little crab with a perm and and like the, the, the glasses oh, chain. Glasses. Where's your dreaming permit? <laughs> <laughs> I, I also, I thought that having a permit was like, that was great. Yeah, I had a good chuckle about that. I, I kind of wish there was a little bit more whimsy in this world because we kind of need something. Yeah, well, this this chapter really kind of digs into more of what I was saying where, like, it tries to have, like, a logic of, like, the crabs fix the leaks and the nightmares fade into them and then they become this. and then But I didn't feel like it was really amounting to a whole lot. And I couldn't tell how much of it was supposed to be a direct allegory versus how much of it was supposed to just be this dream world. Like, so I kept trying to find parallels and I would find it for some things and then a lot of it I didn't. And I was like, I don't know how much of it I'm supposed to... Like, I mean, I'm used to allegories being pretty, like, there's there's a relatively a one-to-one for almost everything in it. So when it's only like 20 or 30% of it, I'm like, I don't... I can't tell if I'm missing something or if yeah. it's only part allegory and part something else. So mm-hmm. like, who's the heron? Or is the heron nobody, you know? Heron is a glass in a shears. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> I did write, can I quit the podcast as a joke in here? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote, uh, this book is way stronger when it's not fantasy. Right. That's how I felt too. Maybe use the fun fantasy element to give us a little bit of right. a break. Like the, but we still didn't. Right. Like the, the, the real world situations, the dread of their situation is, it was more palpable for me. And then in the dream scenario, I was uncomfortable more because I just didn't really get what was going on or why any of it mattered. Well, I think this, you know, this world's in danger because of all these leaks that keep springing right. up. And they're constantly in this struggle at home for like having to keep everything a secret, keep everything in, but little things keep setting right. off. So I think that's kind of what they, she was going for, for how tenuous both of the situations are and it feels like every move you make is the wrong move and like is anyone going to help me out with this and right no no one's right. going to help you like i feel like i was getting the bigger elements but then she kept adding in smaller details of how everything operates and i felt like that was like i don't know i i guess i wanted it to be more of a situation where everything she put in there really mattered because of how i don't know did you ever read the divide no okay neither you didn't? Really? Nope. Okay. <laughs> I liked the word, uh, they referred to the the first woman who came through there as their great grandcestor. I like that. <laughs> so, Eleanor, she starts getting agitated and she makes herself count to ten because she doesn't want to be, like, her dad. Yeah. And, but there's a point where it's like, getting mad is okay. It's how you deal with the anger that is the important part. Well, that's what the crab tells her. Right, there's I wrote that. No, I wrote it, and then a page later he yeah. said that, and I'm like... There's a good and a bad way of being angry, and that was, like, the line where I was like, well, maybe this isn't a two-star book. I will give it three stars, just for saying that. Because the, 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 the mother's always like, oh, it's your temper, Eleanor. It's your temper. Right. She's getting justifiably angry mm-hmm. for, like, this terrible home mm-hmm. life that she should be protected from. Yeah. And shouldn't be in any way. This is like justified anger. Her dad's the temper tantrum man baby who needs to take it down a few few pegs. Yeah. Just, oh my god, I hate that guy so much. No one's going to read this and go, he's a good character. 
So, chapter nine. The crab, whose name is James, and I found that hilarious, tells the crew... <laughs> this is just such a regular... <laughs> James. Like, not even Jim? James, how's it going? Hey. Where's your permit? <laughs> okay, so he tells the girls... James. <laughs> Where's your permit? Okay. He tells them that they need a permit to be in the tunnels and that it would cost them. When they tell him everything they own is in Mike's backpack, he goes through it and chooses Eleanor's paring knife. Down in the tunnels are lots more crab people. I thought there was lots more, but apparently there's only three of them? I thought there were more. So did I. So I was super confused later when she's like, yeah, there's no one here now because they took they, they took James and Sheila. M- maybe, I'm like, where's the rest of them Maybe then? they're just the only ones that are stationed in that part of the tunnels? Well, then get the people who are at other station right. to go. Like, I have no I have no idea how big this world is. No, me neither. Because it's like, it's like there's a portion <laughs> so, of a river. I'm so confused. And a lighthouse. And then there's some caves. And then maybe there's more and maybe there's not. And then... It just feels like this world is just like a, a snow globe. <laughs> that's that's all that's there. Just this... It's a witch ball. Not a snow globe. <laughs> okay. All right. But how do you accidentally get there by ocean? Whatever. Ah! Anyway, let's get back to this. I was under the impression there were lots of crabs, but apparently there aren't. They're the crab people, and one of them is named Sheila. Because, of course, that's another mom's friend name. (laughs) (laughs) You guys are going to go home with Sheila tonight. And if you're good, she'll let you have microwave popcorn. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, and there's lots of tunnels. Eleanor worries that they won't find their particular leak, but they hear the sound of their parents arguing and know they're in the right spot. Um, not far away, they hear Pendra arguing with one of her brothers. Wow, their whole development is leaking. And everyone's arguing, making leaks worse. Be nice, and all the dream world won't leak. Okay, the girls, um, shove a t-shirt into a crack and seal it with washi tape. <sighs> washi tape is not that sticky! <laughs> it is the worst tape of all the tapes! That's like the, the, like, the little decorative tape, yes! right? That's not actually supposed to, like... You just put it on the envelopes. <laughs> These dumbasses. <laughs> uh, Sheila remarks that this was a good effort. Good for it. Good on you, Sheila. But Eleanor knows it isn't a long-term solution. They need better supplies. Yeah, no shit. Uh, it's close to sunrise, and rather than getting trapped or becoming monsters, they need to get home. James speaks to Eleanor on her way out, praising her for even trying to fix the leak. And he returns the paring knife. Um, outside, the girls whistle for dish rag, but he doesn't appear. Elnor decides they should leave the same way they did last time and catches a lighthouse beam. It's not as strong as last time, and it flickers out, dumping the girls into the river. As the current rushes them along, they pass by a NASA's partially built bridge. Because uh, she's building a bridge to try to get to the lighthouse to burst through it to the real world or whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they pass by her bridge, and she taunts the girls, telling them to stay forever and be a monster like her. Suddenly, the heron scoops them out of the water and scolds them for breaking the light. They don't get far before Dishrag tugs them from the heron's grasp and onto his float. He takes them to the lighthouse where Eleanor quickly replaces a broken bulb and a tipped jar of fireflies with a broken computer she salvaged. Then she and Mike are up the ladder and out of Riverland just as the sun rises and back in Eleanor's room where their mother is yelling at them that they're going to be late. So that, I like the message about like the anger and stuff. The other message I like is the... The importance of trying. Yeah. You, you don't, you don't have, it doesn't have to go perfectly, but trying does, like, that says so mm-hmm. much. Yeah. You know? Like an effort was made. Yeah. Even though you sarcastically presents pe- present people with, like, the crummy gold star that says you tried. 
They did. At least they tried. Yeah. They could have just, like, stayed at home and ignored all this. Yeah. I mean, that's, honestly, that's kind of my feeling about this book. Like, there's, she tried, and she had, she had important points to make, and she wanted to talk about a really rough subject. I feel like, ultimately, the book itself is not very strong, but I really appreciate the topic she tried to tackle. Yeah. Yeah. And who she tried to this was, communicate with. No, it's definitely a topic that should be covered more. And I I do appreciate her effort. Yeah. That's why it's not like a one or two star book I'm, give, I'm giving it. I'm giving it three stars just because she tried. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> the crab is like, how are you going to help? You don't have the skills to plug even a small leak. And Eleanor says, we have skills. And I wrote nunchuck skills, bow hunting skills, computer <laughs> hacking skills. <laughs> Girls like boyfriends have skills. Oh, wait, what if he'd been voicing the point in? How are you going to fix it, Eleanor? You don't even have any skills. skills. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, everyone. And they're describing one of the crabs a bit later on. And it says, uh... It says claws and pincers, and I wrote, maybe it's the pincers that I drew Harry yeah, doing that. that's automatically what I thought of, too. Like, that word is forever associated, associated with, with that. Associated with that, yes. Was that scripted, or just did Daniel Radcliffe, Radcliffe do that? My brain was going, Craig. Craig I don't know, Radcliffe. but that is such a fun sequence because of how much differently he got to play the character. Yeah. You know, like, just just be uninhibited and know everything's going to go right. Let your, like, cockiness flow, and it's it's so fun. Yes. Uh, Dishrag, when he comes to rescue them, he's like, he's like, you looked like you needed some horsepower. And I'm like, ha. <laughs> dishrag. Are you the Dishrag? I don't know. Am I Dishrag? Was there a Josh in this book? I don't know there was a Josh or Mara in this book. I feel like I'm the heron being all like, no, you didn't help me once, so you're garbage. Bye. <laughs> and I'm like, God, you're harsh. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I am. Have you not seen what I have to deal with? I am made of glass. Do you know how breakable that is? <laughs> Every morning I break my arms. Every evening I break my legs. <laughs> At night I lay in bed until my heart attacks put me to sleep. <laughs> but for some reason this is making me think of this picture I saw of a little bat and someone's holding like a microphone to it. It's going, I'm very small and I don't have any money. So you can imagine how much stress this puts me under. <laughs> <laughs> Which has nothing to do with this book, but we need levity. Are you ready to move on to chapter 10? Sure. So, at school, Eleanor and Pendra explain their glass project to their science teacher for approval, and Eleanor is inspired to maybe use heated glass to seal the leaking tunnels in Riverland. Um, class gets interrupted when water floods into the classroom. The source turns out to be a crack in the wall of the girls' bathroom. Uh, the plumbers grumble about it, and they say there's a bad one at the elementary school, too, that some kid is taking sole responsibility for. Gee, let's take a wild guess who that kid is. Um, at lunch, <laughs> Mrs. Sardi brings Eleanor to the office where Mike is. She wants to get to the bottom of this incident because, dude, property damage. Um, Eleanor smoothed it over, saying that Mike had just been helping fix the leak and just made it worse, which is why Mike claimed it was her fault. Okay, that's all well and good, but Mrs. S needs to talk to an adult, and she can't reach either of their parents. And if she can't talk to a parent, she has to file an official report and make a home visit, which, what? I was confused by that. Whatever. Okay. Um, no one can reach the parents because Eleanor fudged the phone numbers at the beginning of the school year. Uh, but hey, she has Grant's number memorized for some reason. So I think that's weird. Who has anyone's m- number memorized anymore? I don't even know what the landline number is at this house. Right. I was I was thinking maybe it's part of her like 
because she has to be so hyper aware of everything oh, to protect okay. herself. All right. Okay, so Eleanor calls uh, Gran, and Gran's help, glad to help out, and she talks to Mrs. S. She's like, oh, yeah, I'll talk to her. What do you, what do you need me to say? And I was just like, I love you, Gran, which is what Eleanor says. I love you, Gran. <laughs> so flown over. Oh, so, crisis averted. Afterward, Pendra wants to know what happened and is pissed off when Eleanor brushes her off. She at least unclenches a little when Eleanor tells her that everything's fine now thanks to her Gran. Yeah, Pendra's like, you're not telling me stuff. And Eleanor's already lost one friend because of, like, having the keep the secret of her home life. Her friend Asia. Right. Didn't their... The, the, the dad says the parents, know. yeah, had yeah. like a big falling And out. actually, Pendra, Pendra's family kind of started on the wrong foot with uh, Eleanor's family as well because Eleanor, uh, when she was first becoming friends with Pendra, she'd been at the library and dad got pissed off about something and was like, walk home. And she has to walk home over like a freeway trestle and all sorts of stuff, which is such a dangerous thing. But And so he leaves her to walk home and she's like, okay. I have to take the punishment. He's going to get mad. Right. And Pendra's, Pendra's family's like, no, get in the car. Right. We're not going to let a small child walk home in the rain over the freaking freeway. Right. That's not okay. So, uh, yeah, so the dads didn't like them for doing that. Being a decent person? Not in my watch. Right. Well. I have to break mugs now. Well, it's like you're, you being a decent person is telling me that I'm not a decent person. Were you saying I'm bad? Yeah, basically. <laughs> am i wrong prove me wrong that kind of happened with my dad sometimes too like another adult would be like no this is okay we can do this and i'm just like oh okay so there is an unfortunate side effect to one of the big images of this book which is how the the river leaks through and it starts by coming from under the bed and then it, they start seeing it in the walls and stuff like that every time the river starts leaking from under the bed i just think of bedwetting oh I didn't even think of that. And, yeah, so, like, they would be there, and you'd be like, do you feel that, Mike? And I'm like, oh, did Mike, like, wet herself because she was scared? And then it's like, oh, it's the river. But then the first time it happens, that's how it's brought up, and then they see the lighthouse light, and it's yellow, and so it makes the water yellow. And so oh. from then on, I would just get this image of bedwetting, which is, like... Which I think a lot of kids in these kind of households do, too. We didn't, but... Yeah. And I'm not just saying that's like, I'm <laughs> wouldn't, like... I'd probably admit it. I'm pretty open. I didn't. I didn't pee the bed. When they started talking about the the science fair thing with glass, did you think that they were gonna make a new witch ball? Yeah. Okay. Didn't go there, did it? Yeah. <laughs> it was like that. That was the most. Well, then they're like, "Oh, well, this is." It kind of helped her towards the final solution for how to yes. fix the it river. Did, it did. It did come back around. It yeah, just didn't it come did. back around the way I expected. we expected it to. Right. Which, even though I was picturing her with like all these glass sheets and then like a big old torch and like pulling the mask down and like fixing it. Well, that here's way. what I was thinking. Right. If you if <laughs> if they made the witch ball out of her and Pendra working together and forming a friendship where they trust each other and stuff like that, that witch ball would metaphorically be a lot stronger because it's based on like trust and and all of these things. So I thought that was the route it was going to be, and then there was less overlap between the real world and the magical world in that respect. And I was kind of surprised that it didn't go that route. A couple of times in here, Eleanor sounds like her mom because she tries to just, you know, when people would ask, she would try to like play things off as like mm -hmm. not being a big deal. And I'm like, yeah. that sucks. Yeah. Just, you know, perpetuating the, yeah. Yeah. Perpetuating the yeah. Perpetuating the yeah. The yeah. Chapter 11. The girls come home from school 
and Eleanor gets on the family computer and she deletes um, Mrs. S's emails to the mom because they've been calling the, the wrong numbers and emailing and gotta hide the footprints. Um, then they get cereal for a snack. God, all they ever ate was cereal for a snack. And Mike. Oh, geez, that's true. They only. They only they ever have, ate cereal. They have cookies at like. Gr- they, had the grand... che- they had the grilled cheese at the beginning. Right. And there's cookies at some point. But cookies then, at some point. But other than that, it's just cereal. Cereal, yeah. I hope it's at least whole grain. Most cereals are now, aren't they? Even like the really. Yeah, bad like even the cat food, food in uh, Lucky Charms, I'm pretty sure, is whole grain. So. <laughs> Quit calling it that. Anyway, so they're getting the cereal for a snack, and, okay, here we go. And Mike spills the box. In comes Mr. Charm and Personality, who acts all jolly and tries to be buddy-buddy with the girls, who are tense. Again, rightly so. The act drops when the dad makes a rude crack about Mike's clumsiness, and Eleanor points out that Mike's just a kid, and they're not perfect. Then he has an obnoxious man-baby fit and calls them all garbage, shoving the mom into a wall, which tears her earring out of her ear. Of course, the spineless mother thinks this entire interaction is Eleanor's fault and says, damn you, mother of the year, folks. So the girls retreat upstairs and take their sock ladder to Riverland. The first person they encounter is Anasa, who taunts Eleanor for all the anger in her heart, and she wants the girls to give up on saving the river and come hang out at her crappy bridge instead. She takes Dishrag's boat away while villain monologuing and... Okay, whatever, moving on. (laughs) She has their broken witch ball, though. Outside the crab tunnels are lots of hoof marks, and their knocking reveals one young young crab, Zoe. (laughs) Right, that's like like the neighbor kid. The neighbor kid, exactly. One of my friends is a kid named Zoe, um, who says the mares have been attacking, and they've taken James and Sheila. Um, Eleanor uses the glass to stop up the crack, but it doesn't repair until she tells a story. That fixes the worst of the leaks, but there's still tons more. No time for that, though. They need to go home. How does time move in this place? They just got here. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they take the lighthouse beam back to the lighthouse proper, and the beam's not quite broken, but it's in pretty rough shape. And they take the ladder home, happy that they've managed to fix something. So what I was going to say earlier is that one of the big themes of this is, like, the inter- Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. What's the main theme of this of this story of an abusive family? Cereal. Cheerios. Cheerios. Um, is the the intersection of like the the stories and the magic, and that's like a recurring thing. They say it so often that I started getting sick of it. To be honest, <laughs> like I got it because he just kept getting it hammered right in you, and you're like, right, it's like oh stories are magic. Got it. Can we just get there now, rather right. than all this built? Just get there. So if they excised some of this, that's what I'm saying. Make it Coraline length. Yeah. Cut it in like half and just really distill it to that fundamental, the horror of the abuse, and then the how the dream world helps them like work through that. Right. Because, like, another thing, and I think we're far enough along for me to mention it, is on the opening of the book, because it's an uncorrected proof, it has a short little letter from the author and from the editor, and they're like, you know, I want you to come uh, join Eleanor and Mike and Pendra and Aja and uh, Calliope. And with the exception of Pendra, the friends aren't even really there. (laughs) Like, I don't know. Like, she mentioned it as if they were supposed to be, like, a really important aspect of it, and they really don't. They really aren't. They really aren't. Like, there's... It's just an example of, like, these added details that, I guess, technically expand the world, but the world didn't need expanding in that direction. No. It needed focus. Yeah. 
And so if you cut that sort of stuff out and just really trim it down to maybe like 200 pages, I think this could have been more effective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like more of these events could have taken, like particularly in the dream world, most of these offense, offense, yeah, events could have taken place the same time. Right, because it's it's not like it necessarily is influenced by what they experienced immediately before going every time. Like a lot of it was just like, just continuing from where they left off the last time they were there. So the the Cheerio scene. Yeah, I really hate that. Yeah. Because um, I wasn't fooled for a second when he comes in. He's like, hey, girls. Right. See, I get along with them. Right. Especially when he said that, I was like, I see what this is. This is right. performative bonding. You're right. not actually bonding with them. Right. Because uh, I bet she said something like, well, you kind of scare them or something like that. Yeah. Like, you don't really seem to get along with them. Yeah. And he's like, whoa. I'm a fun guy. And if you have to tell people you're a fun guy who gets along with people, you're probably not a fun guy who gets along with people. Uh, the the detail that really got me was, it said her right ear bled right where her gold hoop had hung a moment before. And I was like, like crap, that sucks. And then it says, uh, the earring made a noise like a marble. As it rolled on the kitchen tile, its metal circle still clasped. And yeah. that's when I realized that it wasn't, it wasn't just that it popped out. It was that it tore, tore all the out. way through. Yeah, that's and really like, brutal. Ugh. And then it says, damn you to the kid. Even though it wasn't her fault. Yeah. She's just sick of everyone pushing Mike around. Yeah. And she's just like, don't say crap to Mike like that. Right. She can see, she actually physically, she actually sees Mike internalizing right. what he says because her shoulders kind of slump right, cause it's... as she's going to like get a broom to like sweep yeah. up the mess. And she's like, I don't want my little sister being that defeated this right. early in life. Right. And you he's know, like, she's... you have way too high expectations of us. Right. And she's like, you know. We're humans. I don't want it either, but I will gladly take it take over Take it for her. her. Yeah. yeah. It's like, and that's, like, she's a really good older sister in that she sense. She is. Like, the... She's the, doing what the mom should be doing. Right. And they, they both they both have their perception totally warped because of how long they've been in this situation. So some of the things they do, they shouldn't have to do. But she's, from what she understands about her situation, she's doing everything that she knows that she can. And Eleanor and Mike have different perspectives because, and I've really related to this as well, but it feels like he got worse when they had a second kid. Mm-hmm. Which is exactly what happened in my family. So, so I was just in there like, okay, I see the dynamic here. Like, he probably didn't want kids anyway. Right. But it's like, okay, one, I guess that's fine. Right. But then the second one, like, damn it. Like, yeah. Wrap um, it up, dude. Don't have one. <laughs> yeah. They're telling stories to each other, and uh, Mike says, someday they'll come back for us. And then Eleanor thinks, they won't, Mike. They aren't. We have to rescue ourselves. And I wrote, hashtag Cheetah Girls. Oh, <laughs> no. Because they have that, <laughs> the Cinderella song. Has oh, that. gross. <laughs> I watched the Cheetah Girls so much when I was younger. I, I didn't. I was too old by that point. I think that's one of the ways I knew I was straight. <laughs> what? Because <laughs> they're really hot. Or at least for like an eight-year-old, they were really hot. <laughs> You're like, I was doubtful, but it turns out. <laughs> okay, are we ready to move on? I was going to do 12 and 13 together. Sure. Okay, so chapter 12. The river hasn't shown up again, which has the girls worried, but Eleanor can't focus on that right now. She has to give her presentation on glass. It goes well until she's called to the guidance counselor's office. Mrs. S is concerned because she didn't have the right contact number for the parents. The mom says it was just a mistake and it's all breezy about it, but now the parents know Eleanor messed with the numbers. Hopefully she won't be punished so badly that the girls can't go to Pendra's sleepover tonight. 
Uh, when they get home, they find out the punishment is that Eleanor's books and Mike's stuffed animals have been taken away. And there's a brochure on Eleanor's desk for a school in Connecticut. The dad's downstairs bellyaching that Eleanor's, dis- Eleanor's disrespectful. Respect is earned, dickhead. Oh yeah, Grant's coming to dinner tonight. Who's hungry? So, chapter 13, Grant comes to dinner and it doesn't go well. The dad's a jackass doing a high sale- hard sales pitch for her to give up the house and gets pissy when anyone else wants to talk, calling it distractions. Eleanor defends her grandmother, but this was the wrong move. The dad call, uh, cuts dinner short by calling Gran a cab. Before she leaves, the girls apologize for Eleanor's temper, and Gran assures them that they did nothing wrong. She gives them envelopes with her phone numbers, but these are confiscated when she leaves. Because of Eleanor's behavior, they're grounded for the weekend and can't go to the sleepover. Later, the dad comes upstairs to fight Eleanor, taunting her that no one's going to save her, especially Gran, and throws her into a wall. So Eleanor takes her backpack and sneaks off to Pendra's sleepover anyway. Yeah, he, he goes right into the sales pitch. And everyone knows they can't take a bite until he's eaten. So they're all just sitting there with this food in front of them, just watching this idiot like, Oh yeah, we're going to have all this land. And it's like, no one really gives a shit. Can we just eat? Yeah. It, it's just, he has to be in charge of everything. Right. Like, I kind of want to know why he, like, the frustration of you know if, if he didn't want kids or not obviously plays into it but there's something else underlying that that makes him want this power or maybe something. he doesn't feel like he's actually a good businessman or he just can't handle stress yeah oh uh, there's here's another thing about the anger when they are at dinner i don't remember why what eleanor said but she ends up saying i'm sorry i didn't mean to sound so angry grand squinted at me angry she gets mad like Papa a lot, Mike said helpfully. Uh, Grand knelt, so she was at eye level. That wasn't angry, Mike, and Eleanor is not at all like your Papa. You didn't do anything wrong, either of you. And it's like, thank you. Somebody yeah. needs to tell her these yeah. things. Yeah, they do. Did you notice that there was a huge pattern of characters whispering and then other characters hearing them as if they weren't whispering? What? Like, at least three times in the book, it'll say that somebody whispered something, and then somebody that wasn't the recipient will comment on the whisper? I'm like, either everyone here is eavesdropping or nobody knows how to whisper. (laughs) We're gonna have a secret party. (laughs) (laughs) It's gonna be a gross, weird, loud whisper party? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) And the person, she's in the bathroom and calls out, that was loud. (laughs) That's not whispering, you're just a close talker. They're, they're all that character that uh, Will Ferrell put in SNL who can't control the volume of his voice, so he just speaks loudly all the time. <laughs> I haven't seen that one. He, was, he, was, he mostly showed up on Weekend Update. <laughs> I was just thinking about the, uh, uh, what's his name from uh, Hey Arnold? It's a brainy that would always be like breathing behind Helga. Crunch! Yeah. Crunch. <laughs> she uh, punches him. Hi. <laughs> creep me out i didn't like that character i just loved his uh hi <laughs> immediately followed by the crunch of the glasses <laughs> you know who's a good grandma arnold's grandma <laughs> she's so crazy she's sad. did she have dementia was that ever no, or was she, she just eccentric no, she was just super eccentric i just remember some episode where she's like arnold you're a pip. And I went, I thought she said pimp. And then my mom's in the room went, I thought she said that too. Do you remember <laughs> the episode? I think it was a double length episode where they go to the beach and she goes to the nude beach. And she just goes, 
when in Rome and then takes off her swimsuit. <laughs> but then she's always running around with a surfboard conveniently located over. Right. We don't want to see that. <laughs> but you can see you can see the top of like the super saggy cleavage. Oh. <laughs> I love Hey Arnold. It's a good show. I should watch the they finally did the jungle movie and I haven't seen it yet. So Riverland. Yeah, I was like, as much as I know we want to talk about something happier, we gotta get through this. We're almost done. Um, I'm just gonna do 14 and 15 together. So, uh, chapter 14. At the sleepover, the girls eat cupcakes and watch movies until they fall asleep. The river has followed Eleanor and is under the bed. As she prepares to go, Pendra finds her and demands to go, too. Pendra doesn't ask, she just demands, (laughs) which drives me bananas. Even though I kind of understand at this point, because I'm like, you're in my house. Right. I get to go in the thing in my house. (laughs) Screw you. Yeah, there's a magic river under my own bed. I get to go. Why do you get to go? This is my house. It's my magic river. It's my house. You're a guest. (laughs) Uh, So Eleanor grabs the lighthouse beam and ties it to a bedpost, and they try to carefully climb in, but Pendra's reckless and stupid, so they fall in, making lots of noise. Dishrag picks them up to take to Anasa, who's paid for their ride. Eleanor doesn't like that, and she gives him metallic wrapping paper to pay instead. So that way he isn't beholden to a NASA, and they can actually get out of there if they need to. Um, when they get to the bridge, <clears throat> they see lots of broken items from their households. Anasa taunts Eleanor about her rage, saying she's worse than her dad. Eleanor gets up on the bridge while Panda distracts Anasa. Eleanor wants the witch ball back, and since she's confident that she can fix the glass and thus fix the agreement, but Anasa baits Eleanor into losing her temper, and Anasa throws the witch ball into the river as mares swarm the raft that Dishreg and Pendra are still on. Eleanor leaps down to join her friends. Fifteen. The group fights off the mares and then paddle the raft to the lighthouse. There, Eleanor and Pendra take the ladder up and out, and they're in Eleanor's room rather than Pendra's. Eleanor checks Mike's room, but her little sister is gone, leaving a note behind that she's going to the river to get the witch ball. Eleanor lets Pendra out of the house, and then <laughs> I felt like that was like a pet. She lets her out of the house. Go pee! And then returns to Riverland. On the riverbank, she meets the heron who's falling apart and he's weak from battling the mares. Anasa has finished her bridge, and the baddies are all at the lighthouse ready to invade the real world. Just then, a herd of mares run at them, dragging the crabs, and they have Mike with them. Elmer gets swept up by them as well, and Mike's not quite herself. She's telling the mare she's writing every bad thing she's done, which is making the mare stronger. Uh, Eleanor releases the crabs from the net, holding them, and then hops onto uh, Mike's mare with her. A search of Mike's pockets turns up the paring knife. Eleanor stabs the mare, turning it to smoke. Uh, So they collapse to the ground. And uh, the mares circle the girls, and Eleanor uses the knife to cut open the sky to let in light, which destroys some of the mares and scatters the rest. The birds and the herons settle with the girls, everyone discouraged that they've lost. Mike is starting to forget everything, like their mother and Gran. So Eleanor faces the river and she starts telling true stories all about their home life, their dad, their mom, everything they've been forced to hush up and the unfairness of it all. As she speaks, the river forms and spits out new witch balls. Inspired, the girls gather the witch balls and decide to take on Anasa and the mares with Dishrag and the bird's help. They float to the lighthouse where Anasa and the mares are slipping through a huge crack in the wall of the lighthouse. Mike feeds Dishrag one of the darkest witch balls, and he becomes so fast that when their little cavalry goes through the crack, he easily overtakes Anasa and the mares, and they go shouting into the real world. That's when I was like, finally, the story's good. I like the story now. I have a question about 
So Anasa came through, I assume kind of like Pendra did, with yeah, the Yeah, she great, was a guest. Right, so right. with the, the and then gr- great grandma. Or or some, some grandsister. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Does that mean that the family has a history of being in abusive relationships? Is that why, like, what what's the know. importance of it being that they're specifically tied to their family? Why isn't this just something that happens to them? What? The girls are tied to Riverland because of this agreement that yeah. their great-grandma makes. Why is it important that their family is specifically tied to Riverland? Why is this not just something that happened to them as just a magical thing? Like, what's the importance of having it be a family thing? Lots of things work that way. That's not an unusual thing. I don't understand the question. Like, I didn't even question that because it's such a trope of, like, the fruit, you know, there's always been someone here at the castle, you know, and it's like, it's always been this family that keeps track of this. So I don't know. That's just a trope I'm super familiar with. So it doesn't. Right. But it's usually like a, for as far back as we can remember, the royal family has always done such and such. It's more trackable in this. It's like your great grandma came through and did this. Like, and then... well, the mom says later that she and the dad tried to keep track of the river, but they both sucked at it just because the dad <laughs> is such an energy suck himself. That they just kind of gave up on it and like didn't keep track of it, which probably weakened the river and why the kids inherited this shit show as soon as they're kind of, I guess, old enough to be able to deal with it. Right. I guess I just felt like it was trying to subvert the like just statement of it and make it tie into it more. And I didn't know if I missed something. And I just figured it was that trope of like, there's this... Because whatever their freaking name was, like, the such-and-such people always keep track of the okay. the, the river. I don't know. It's just, it's just a trope I've always been familiar with. Which they didn't do in Fablehaven. Nope. Yeah. Like, anybody could get into yeah. that if you wanted to. Yeah. Because they were talking about how the, the grandparents took over from some... I don't know from if they even else. knew yeah. them. If they did, it was just because they had worked together before. It had nothing to do with a family tie or anything. Yeah, and the dad had, yeah, and their parents had no idea yeah. how this was because he didn't grow up in it. And yeah. Yeah. So, so they, he, Brandon Mole avoided that trope. <laughs> so here's me trying to make sense of some of this. And I wrote, so like the river is kind of like the secret of their awful home life and Pendra can see it because Eleanor is becoming more trusting of her? Maybe. Because like all these leaks happen and nobody really... Could other people see that? Like, because she would talk about how there were stains in the house, but like nobody else saw the stains, right? Nobody God, else saw they the didn't leaks. remark on them or didn't know yeah. the significance. Right, but like I feel like the dad would have lost his, you know, if they had seen the probably. <laughs> well, uh, the girls like there was a line in it that said that they were not looking at that stain so hard that the mom's kind of like looking at them like, right. what's with this laser focus intensity that right. you're staring at? Your... Yeah. <laughs> like, what's going on? So that but was... without saying what's going on because she's a terrible parent. Yeah, but... so that was me trying to make some sense of it. And then later on that chapter, I also said um, all the debris of hiding the problems, like all the house magic, because it's all the debris in the Riverland is the like the stuff that their mom had like gotten, you know, cleaned up and then replaced yeah. Or presumably similar things happening in other households. They yeah, because recognize... I think Pendra recognized some stuff. Yeah. It was like, oh, that's something my brother broke the other right. day. Right, and it's like, it's like, it's like the, anything that was broken as a result of like a... And uh, this was, used to be an isolated house by itself. These other houses are a pretty recent development. So these other people are kind of unexpectedly affecting this mystical river or whatever yeah. that wouldn't have before. So maybe the strain of that's not really helping it much either. 
Right. Like, it's like, there's so much coming through, I can't handle it. Yeah. But, like, this one household is providing the... so much of it just on their own. Yeah. It's like... Um, but also, it says that the crabs were working to uh, to press the trash into cubes. So I drew Wally. You drew Wally. <laughs> <laughs> I like how chapter 15 of 17, you're like, yes, I like this story. I know. Yeah, that's when I was just like, okay, this is definitely three stars and not two. If I hadn't felt sick through most of the book, I feel like this could have been a four. I don't know. It, it, I feel like it could have been. Like, it had the... It was never going to be a five for me. But I feel like it had the potential to at least be a four, and it didn't mm-hmm. quite make it there, because I had some of the same problems you did, besides being like, I'm tense and sick reading this. I did like the part where they're on, they're riding with Dishrag, and Mike leans forward and hugs him and says, you are the best pony. And he says, I'm trying to be a nightmare. <laughs> I'm trying to be a nightmare. <laughs> Quit telling me how cute I am. <laughs> right, it's like it's 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 like that picture of the tiny little like vampire bat, and it's like, no, do not touch me. I am the knight. <laughs> <laughs> Different bat from the one that was like, I'm very small and I have no money. As you can imagine, the, you can imagine the stress I'm under. It's seriously the funniest picture I've ever seen. All right. Uh, we're nearly done. I'm going to do the last two chapters. Alrighty. So, chapter 16. The girls emerge into the real world and a terrible storm is attacking the house with the assistance of the mayor. So there's, like, a real storm happening, but you also see, like, right. these nightmare horses running around as well that I think probably only the girls can see. Because otherwise people would be like, what the F? Except for the flock of birds that... I think they're seagulls. <laughs> and they ran. They ran so far away. I'm sorry, I'm trying to make this fun. Anyway, so Dishrag is just a pile of Dishrags, which is sad. But the birds are in one piece, so the girls send them out the window with some of the witch balls. Uh, In the hall, the girls hang up the new witch ball, and the dad comes out to fight about it. Of course he does. Eleanor neither cringes nor sasses back, but she quietly stands her ground, and she gets slapped and then strangled. A cloud of nightmare smoke, which I think, it doesn't state, but I think that was the remains of Dishrag. Okay. Okay, so it was the remains of Dishrag, circles the dad and distracts him from murder. He lets Eleanor go to find the source of this smoke's fire, all the while forbidding his family from evacuating from the storm. Pender calls and urges Eleanor to get her family to leave to evacuate to the school like all the neighbors are doing. The mother is fruitlessly mopping up the flooding, but when the girls remind her of the river and magic, the mom admits that she and the dad sucked at their efforts to keep the river safe, Kel Surprise, and sends the girls off to safety, finally doing one thing right as a parent. Um, Outside, witch balls are hanging from the trees, and they're catching the mares. The girls run to Pender's house, but are overtaken by Anassa on a big mare. Anassa spouts her usual BS about how Eleanor's ugly inside like her father, but that doesn't work anymore. Eleanor holds up the witch ball, and Anassa's trapped inside it. The girls make it to Pender's house, and they safely get into the car, where Eleanor presents Pender with her gift, her very own witch ball. Once they're at the school with all the other evacuees, Eleanor calls Gran to tell her everything. Everything. No more lies. So, chapter 17. The story concludes with the girls living with Gran and thriving. Eleanor wins second place at the science fair, where the girl's mother visits and says she's proud. She says the girls can come home once the house is fixed up, but no one seems to really believe that, and they're totally okay with where they are now in life. The end. I just realized something. So... The river is full of dreams and nightmares, right? Yeah. And in this book, the girls like never sleep. There there no. aren't ever there aren't ever actually any dreams or nightmares. No. 
you're like, is this magical realism or not? It was just kind of where I was it, at. Yeah, well, it's it is because because I I think the um uh, Miss Sardi comments that there was a flock of birds in their house, like I think she could see them. Yeah, which she then saw really them. confuses me. <laughs> Because then they, but because nobody else could see the leaks. So and you like, didn't see the horses running around? Right. <laughs> like, what did you um, see here? There is that note of uh, when she's confronting her dad. I knew that look. It meant no matter what answer I chose, it would be wrong. Yep. And that's, yep. That's a yep. big thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, here. I think you'll appreciate this. And this kind of sums up, this sums up how I was feeling about the, the river portion of it. Mike stared at me as I nodded. I wasn't telling the truth, but I wasn't lying either. Magic is like that sometimes. So is glass. Something in between. And I wrote, Glurk is the bog, is the poet, is the world. Yeah. It's like, I can tell it's reaching for something, but I feel like it's not quite getting there with some of its symbolic elements. Yeah. So that was, I guess that was my big thing about it. Like, it tried. It tried. And I really appreciate it's trying, and I really appreciate some of the elements of it. I just felt like it was maybe trying to pack too much and not honing in on what really mattered, and so... I kept getting bogged down by trying to understand those things that I couldn't really just like shove them aside and focus on the core element of it. And so that's more why I didn't really like it. I was like, I feel like you're trying for something more here and I don't know if you need the more. I think you should just really like distill it to the part that matters. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like a, like personally for me, it's like a two with a non-sarcastic you tried sticker. (laughs) Like, you really did. I just wasn't feeling the end result. But yeah, that's that's me. I so. gave it a low three. Because we were solidly at, like, two through the whole book. Until the... Because I, I think I even told you, like, the ending can make or break mm-hmm. my, my mm-hmm. rating. And it elevated my rating mm-hmm. a little bit. Just to finally... That the key to fixing this world was to finally, like, shine a light on all the stuff yeah. that they'd been hiding yeah, for all sure. this time. What I did appreciate was, and this is a thing that happens, a lot of books will do this the wrong way, which is if you have a book that is prime, uh, like a YA book especially, that's primarily uh, realistic fiction for the most part, and then you want to have a climax, you all of a sudden add an action scene where there's never been an action scene, and you're like, what the heck is going on here? This avoided that for two ways. One, having fantastical elements where a little bit of action would happen. And two, making it so the kids aren't actually being that active. It's like action is happening around them. Yeah. So it wasn't just all of a sudden they needed to like spring into action. They were like, you know, they're they're like rowing their own thing down the, the real world river as the storm's going and then they're rescuing people from the water. It like, right, right. it didn't need to do that because no. that's just, it never makes sense when that happens. Because the main, the main conflict was everything that happened in that house and that family. Yeah. So you didn't, Need the... Right. Yeah. For Narnia, that kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) And it was kind of cool to have, like, a fantastical element type place where it's like, you're the chosen ones! Right. It's just like, no, this is is your job. Your family's supposed to fix this place, and this place is leaking. Mm -hmm. So fix it. This is your responsibility. And their problem was a family problem, and that was, like, a related family problem. All right. So I think that about does it for Riverland. Yeah. Who would you recommend this book to? I don't know. I was I was kind of reading it thinking, who's the audience for this? Were you wondering that too? I feel I feel like the audience like, like if she, give if, it to if, a kid and see who cries and like, okay, we need to. I, I think if she got them. if she got to choose her audience, if <laughs> she got to choose each person that read it, I think she would want children who have been in or near abusive situations to read it to 
at least know that they're not alone and that whatever they're feeling is like it's happened before and here's you know whether or not they're so close to the situation that it's too upsetting for them at the time is going to be based on the individual person. Yeah, I probably couldn't have read this yeah. even 10 years ago. But like, you know, since I have not been really anywhere near that sort of thing, I kind of had to just think about what it might have felt like as opposed to somebody like you who actually knows what it did feel like. And so that produces two different responses in the yeah. reader. So yeah. I was trying to think if there are any, like, if you liked this book that we've read, maybe you should read this one. But I don't know. There's... We haven't we've... we haven't read anything that's like this. No, not at all. It's quite different tonally. Yeah, probably more like realistic fiction than anything right. fantastical. But yeah, so that was Riverland by Fran Wilde. It is out now. It's not out now as I'm saying it, but no. by the time you hear it, it it's out be. now. It's out now. <laughs> so... I'd say it's worth reading. I'd, I'd say read it. I mean, don't have like a palate cleanser yeah. book nearby to right. kind of like make right. you like not miserable yeah. especially if you want something that will kind of give you some insight into that sort of family dynamic i i can definitely think of less accurate representations than this so this is definitely yeah. a this isn't this theatrical hollywood idea of what an abusive household is right like. and it's not it's not like a clean fix or anything it, like no, that it's... exactly i was worried that they were gonna make it to like oh it turns out he wasn't abusive the whole time he was just possessed by right he was corrupted by yeah yeah none like, of that crap it's just no, it's he's like, a weak person who yeah. just doesn't can't deal with his stress right. and has to focus everything outwards onto these right everyone in his path all right <laughs> Hello, fellow kids is hosted by Mara and Josh, produced by Josh. Music provided by Ben Ash. Visit him at benash.com. If you'd like to contact us, please, dear God, do so at uh, hfkpodcast at gmail.com or hfkpodcast on Twitter. We are also around on Goodreads, Goodreads, uh, Radio Public. You can listen to us, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google, iTunes. Please listen on iTunes. Uh, if you listen to us anywhere, please go ahead and give us a, a review. Or even if a, it's bad. Or like, yeah, honestly, like even like a good review will help us show up more on suggestions, and a bad review will tell us how we can improve. Like that's all valuable stuff. Just don't be a jerk about it, and just be like, you gay. Because I'm just going to be like, no you. No you. <laughs> I'm like, I'm half. 